Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, welcome back to the second hour of the special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. But I am not Terry Wickstrom. I'm Chad Lachance. I'm filling in for Terry. Terry's off and traveling, and we're not sure where Terry is in his travels, but we do wish him safe travels. I think last I heard, something like California. So hopefully he's off and having a good time. But, uh, you know, this time of year in Colorado, we've got such a mix of opportunities for, for people to be out and hunting and fishing and doing all their things. Me personally, as as a fisherman that travels all around the state a lot, and we work with Parks and Wildlife, and we've traveled extensively around the state to check out the various state parks. When we start thinking about this time of year, automatically my mind gravitates to either North Park or South Park with some of the fishing because those shallow, weedy lakes that that in, that are so common up there, whether it be the Delaney Complex or Spinney or down in, in South Park, uh, of course, Ontario Reservoir also in South Park, uh, really excellent fishery, the, the North Delaney, South Delaney, Lake John, Lake Cowdery, uh, all of those lakes really start coming into their own as we head into the fall. And when you start talking about those lakes, the first thing I think about is trophy fishing and the as soon as the water's temperatures start cooling those things get really good and you can fish for the browns you can fish for the rainbows uh in the case of south park you can fish for the pike and all of them are willing willing uh participants at this time of year and it gets better as we go on so you know when i'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the Delaney's, I start thinking about the the Delaney Complex State Wildlife Area um, at a, in maybe September, early September. So South Park Lakes probably a little bit or even earlier than that. But I think the guy to talk to about the South Park Lakes is one of the Nate Zielinski crew from Tightline Outdoors. It's Mr. Will Dykstra. I think he's joining us now. You there, Will? Hey, Chad. How you doing? Well, I'm fantastic. How are you? I am absolutely terrific. It's a beautiful Saturday here in one of the most beautiful states anybody can live in with some of the best fish around. Well, there you go, bud. I think we can be uh, we can be friends for sure. Now, are you by chance on the water today? I'm not on the water today. Today is a uh, a scheduled family day for a change because this time of year, as you well know, um, can be some of the best time of year. Or can be one of the best times of year to fish. So uh, getting some family time in uh, while you can because it's going to be a uh, busy next couple of months. Well, there you go. And I was just talking to Dan Swanson, uh, also a fishing guide, and, and, you know, same thing. All of us take Saturdays off and then leave Saturdays for everybody else, and we'll fish the rest of the week. But um, now you wanted to talk a little bit about feeding windows, and I generally look at fall as a – you know, say September to the end of October as a giant feeding window, but kind of the spot on spot scenario, there's going to be time frames within that whole fall season that are going to be better than others. And as a fishing guide, it is your job to recognize those. Oh, we lost Will. Sorry about that, guys. Well, Will wanted to talk to us about feeding windows, and I agree with him, and he and I have talked in advance. I know what, what we're talking about. The key, the key to the feeding windows in a lot of cases is going to be weather-driven. And when we're talking about feeding windows, we're talking about a specific time when all the fish in the lake light up and start doing their thing. And 
a lot of anglers don't realize you're going to spend eight hours on the lake, and within that eight hours, you're going to get maybe a, a short period of time where the fish just go ballistic. It is rare that you have an all-day deal where the fish just go and go and go all day long. It is more common that you have a small window where they feed heavily, and I think we've got Will back. And uh, Will, are you there? I'm here. Sorry about that. Uh, I had a, uh, a bad cell phone connection. Oh, uh, no problem. No problem. So let's talk about our feeding windows deal here. And I was just talking about the fact when we were trying to get you back on the phone that those windows are often triggered by weather. Um, they can be triggered by light periods as well. What are some of your thoughts as a fishing guide on the feeding windows? You know, so it's, as you know, Chad, there's no rules in fishing. I mean, we'd love to say that you can predict everything perfectly, but, you know, something especially with, you know, the fish that I'm fishing for, for the most part up there in South Park, being those big pike, is these fish have a ton of food, and uh, they see a ton of angling pressure, so they tend to be not quite as active as we'd like. I mean, you you know as well as anybody, you and I tried to get a pike show done up there, and, and sometimes the fish cooperate, sometimes they don't, but there's being able to capitalize and even try to predict these feeding windows is, is really important, and obviously we can't predict the weather but the things we can predict, like you said, are light periods. Um, I pay a ton of attention to the uh, what's considered the salooner calendar, the salooner tables. And basically what that does is it typically will give you three to four feeding windows throughout the day where these fish are going to be more active. And it actually can hold true to, to elk and deer hunting as well. But as far as the fishing goes, it's just a time of day, and it's basically based off of the gravitational pull of the moon, and it's a time of day where these fish just tend to be more active. I mean, great example is this past this past week up at Spinney, we had a pretty slow morning pike fishing. It's it's buzzbait season up there, and typically the first hour and a half of the day is absolutely prime. And to uh, to top it off, we had overcast with a little bit of you know light rain. Which you know, if if you ask me, that's my that's my day to catch a big pike is is overcast early August, late July, and uh, we're going to catch a big fish that day. I can almost guarantee it. And it was weird. Not much activity going on during that perfect weather period. Uh, the fish just weren't cooperating at all, not seeing hardly anything moving around at all. And sun pops out. I look at my I look at my little table, and it says the feeding major of the morning is going to start at 11.15 and go till 1.30. I told, the, I told the guests on the boat, I said, hey, I said, you know, something I do pay attention to, even though the fishing, we've had prime conditions and it hasn't been a great day, we do have a prime feeding window coming up. And one of the guys said, oh, you, you, do we need to put tinfoil on our heads too for this bite? You know, kind of joking around, you know, <laughs> yeah. trying to tell them that we can predict this based off of what, what the moon and the sun's doing. And from 11.15 to approximately, I think it was 11.55, because I, I was watching the clock, we put nine pike in the boat 34 to 43 inches. And it was with flat calm. The sun had peaked out. It was flat calm and uh, high sun, bright sky, and all of a sudden what, what I would consider is something that would typically turn the fish off. You mix the change in weather with the fact that it you know coincides with that feeding window. We capitalize big time. And the biggest thing I want to point out is if you're if you, it, you might not believe in this system or not, but but what I say what I do is it puts me on my best spot where my biggest fish are going to be at what I would consider the prime time. It also keeps everybody on their toes, so that that focus goes up, you're on your prime spots, and it kind of lines everything up to put more success in your favor. 
Well, and I agree with that 100%. First of all, you had me at buzzbait bite. Uh, when you right. told me there's a good buzzbait bite, that's a good sign. So folks need to run with that little tidbit of information, meaning get up there and fish your topwaters in the morning. But back to your thing about, because you alluded to the fact that, that these salooner tables, uh, and just for the record, I'm an old school saltwater guy, which means the tides work around the salooner exactly. tables. And the tides really drive the whole thing. Not only now do you have a salooner uh, event going on, but you also have a, a water movement event going on, which which is big. But back to your, you alluded to the fact that it can also affect deer and elk hunting. Uh, I'm a huge believer in that. And I'm also a believer in observing your system around you. Let's say you're in South Park and the antelope have been bedded up all day. When those antelope get up and start feeding, I'm going to my best fishing spot. Whether I know the, the salooner tables or not, when the antelope get up and start feeding... I'm going looking for my best spot. When the deer around horse tooth are all of a sudden I'm looking and there's deer up on their feet and they're moving all over the place, I'm going to fish more aggressively. I'm going to my spot. And I can almost guarantee you that those are tied to some other feeding window. Now, how the fish and the, and the wildlife all get on the same page with that, I don't know. But I right. believe that they do. And, uh, and, it, and it's a good indicator of what's going on in your environment. So uh, I think that that's a really important thing. Now... When you start talking about weather events, and I know we can't predict when they're going to happen, but we can react to them. So one that I look at is say, okay, all of a sudden this front's coming. Now we've got wind blowing consistently out of one direction into this one bank. That, to me, is going to create a, a window as well. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. And, and I will say this, you know, there's, there's definite things that correlate with the direction the wind's coming from. And, you know, there's days where you'll have a straight west wind up there in Spinney. I mean, everybody's everybody that's spending time up at South Park, Spinney or 11 Mile or Antero knows that that wind can howl up there. And typically you don't get a ton of changes in wind direction up there. Typically it chooses a direction and, uh, and blows like crazy all day. And that almost always gets the fish riled up, gets them ramped up. So, again, when, when I get conditions like that, I want to be on my prime spots fishing with high action, high, you know, high reaction style baits that I can keep moving and uh, cover as much water as possible. But something I will say is, you know, I, I remember as a kid um, being up on, on a fishing trip and, and the local the local fishing guy there said, yeah, so, um, you know, the, I, always, I always correlate the wind direction with what the fish are going to do. The fish, or the winds out of the north, fishermen go forth. Winds out of the west, fishing is best, and wind out of the south, uh, fish open their mouth is what he'd always say. And he said, however... When the wind is out of the east, the fish bite the least. Yep. And and I you know was thinking I've thought about that my whole life. And something that people might not realize, but I would say more often than not, when you have a steady east wind, that more often than not will um, correlate with a rise in barometric pressure, which is another one of those things that we use to try to predict what the fish are doing. And if that barometric pressure is stable or dropping, the fish are going to be fired up. But when you get a, a barometric pressure that's already high and then starts to rise, which is typically what happens with that east wind, that bite's going to get a little bit, little bit tougher. Does that mean we leave the lake? Absolutely not. It just means we've got to change up some tactics and maybe, maybe fish with some baits are going to hang out in that strike zone a little bit longer. Yeah, exactly. Give the fish more opportunity. Be, be that bowl of potato chips that's sitting in front of you. Whether you're hungry or not, you'll eventually take one. And uh, if you leave your bait in a strike zone long enough, a pike or a trout's got to try it. Yeah, there's no uh, doubt about it. It's just their mindset. I associate the east wind as being the least common wind pattern. Therefore, it is the one the fish are less comfortable with. Right. Uh, so in, no matter how you look at it, I agree with you on the east wind uh, that, that that's my least favorite. When the wind's blowing out of the east, that is for sure my least favorite bite uh, most of the time. And it's 
basically because it isn't a bite. It's a non-bite, and that's the problem. But when the wind, is, when you get that prevailing west wind, or, or, or particularly a south wind, uh, southwest wind, uh, at least on the lakes I fish most commonly, you'll get a consistent bite. That's when we can power fish, fish real aggressively. The big jerk baits, the big loopless crankbaits get real yep. aggressive. You know, that's when you throw the big streamers, uh, whatever the case might be, and uh, and don't slow down. Now that that really is the time to get aggressive and get after them. Now. Um, quickly here, we're going to run out of time in a hurry, uh, Will. But um, so if a guy wants to go fishing with you, and I've I've been fishing with you, I already know it's good. But uh, if a guy wants to go fishing with you, how is the best place for him to get a hold of you? You know, so you can find us on Facebook at uh, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. You can also find me personally on Facebook at Will Dykstra, and then we have a we have a website TightlineOutdoors.com. That's got all of our our, our guide rates on it, as well as the uh, different opportunities that we have. And again, it's. We're getting into my favorite time of year to be catching some really big trout in South Park and uh, the pike fishing, I guess the pike and trout fishing right now, both at Spinney, 11 Mile, and at Terry, or in, and at Antero. Um, that trout fishing is just going to get better and better, and these the quality of fish we're seeing up there is is as good as we've seen in a long time. Well, there you go. I may hit you up and see if we can get out and jump in a boat and do another whack at a pike show. But uh, also, real quick, I'm going to point out that you'll be guest hosting this very radio show on August 31st. So uh, perhaps yes, you'll call me, and I will call, and we can talk some more. But, Will, I appreciate you taking the time to call in today. We'll let you get back to your family time, and uh, hope we're to get in the boat with you here pretty quick. Absolutely, Chad. Thanks, man. Have a great day. You bet. That's Will Dykstra with Thailand Outdoors. With that, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to a special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. The Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. It's time now for Terry's Tackle Tip of the Week. All right, welcome back to the special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. I'm Chad Lachance filling in for Terry Wickstrom, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have a tackle talk, and we've got a guy that's very qualified to talk about tackle on the phone joining us now from Minnesota. We've got Mr. Steve Panaz. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, Chad. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fantastic. Now, quickly, for folks that aren't familiar with Steve Panaz, first of all, where have they been hiding? They've been under a rock somewhere, but you're the host of Lake Commandos Television. And where does that air, and when can they see that? Well, we air uh, both on Sportsman's Channel in uh, the first half of the year and then World uh, Fishing Network the second half. And then episodes are also housed at MyOutdoorTV.com if, uh, if people want to check it out. Well, uh, we'll get along just fine because Fishful Thinker Television is concurrently on all that, only we're on Altitude Sports instead of Sportsman's Channel. But otherwise, same thing, World Fishing Network and My Outdoor TV. Now, you've been in the fishing industry for a very long time. Uh, Both of us work with a company called Berkeley, which I'm sure folks have heard from or heard about. We work directly with their lure designers. And this is a time of year that a topwater bait can be a fantastic bait. Let's talk topwaters. (laughs) <laughs> i love top water all right there I mean, you go yeah just it, it's a it's a great way to not only catch fish but also locate fish and there's a lot of different top water options so things like the chopo and some of these uh the prop baits or uh the plopper baits really are, are great baits because they're easy to fish make long casts you know cover a lot of water and they'll draw fish up uh i mean in in some cases up 15 20 feet or more 
Right. Now, for folks that aren't familiar with that style bait, it's got an asymmetrical blade on the back. It's got one. It's like a propeller with, with for your boat with two of the wings broke off. And so it's fundamentally out of balance. It makes a kind of a goofy noise coming across the surface of the water. It floats. And when you wind it, you can hear that thing from the end of your cast. You can hear it coming across the surface of the water. Uh, I think the original one was a top raider. And then they they made you know a couple other brands of them, the, the plopper. And then the Chapo is a more refined version version still uh, available in several sizes now they may be created probably predominantly as a bass fishing bait but you live in pike country you're in you're in minnesota um have you had success with pike or muskies or other species with them as well but chad interestingly the uh, the first uh the first uh patent on on rear prop plates was back in the 1920s really? and they've been around for a long time but what uh, what they really do well is is really uh, generate explosive strikes and yes they're i've been i've been using the top raider and, and those types of baits for years because they're such a great musky and pike bait and for us to move down into uh, smallmouth and, and largemouth sizes i just didn't really believe they would react to these baits as aggressively as they do but it is one of those baits that's just simply fun to fish oh yeah and you know as a guy that runs a guide business i can tell you that uh, if i for when i throw a hand a guy buzz bait let's say he throws it out. A lot of people don't have that instantaneous line control. They're throwing them on a spinning rod or whatever the case might be, and they lose the first part of their retrieve, or there's no ability to pause it. Uh, and yes, you can get explosive strikes with them, but you it's less versatile and more labor-intensive to fish, whereas something like the Chapo, you can throw it out, you can wind it, you can stop it. It just sits there. It gives you a chance to generate strikes doing that if you need as well, although personally I find a steady, even retrieve gets me more bites with that style of bait. I agree. It's one of those baits that I, I just it, the simpler you keep it, the better it is. There you go. Now, another one that's really popular, because you live in smallmouth country, right? You're in Minnesota. And by the way, I'm looking forward to visiting you this end of this month. And uh, I have not fished in Minnesota, so I, I, I'm hoping I get to see some of, uh, some of the potential that, that I know Minnesota's famous for. But I know you have small smallmouth and largemouth in big numbers there. Uh, yep. We throw a ton of poppers, the little bullet pop, the 60, 70, and 80, the Berkeley bullet pop, the pop R. There's a million different brands of poppers. Poppers for me are a bait that we throw a lot, and for me, it's when the when the reason I choose a popper over a, a Walker style bait or a plopper style bait is when I have a smaller strike zone. When I want to fish in a smaller area, let's say a popper is the one I choose for that, or around spawning uh, panfish of any kind. What what scenarios do you look for for a popper style bait? I think you agree. I mean, the, the the number one thing that I use it for is is when fish are holding tight to cover, say a fallen tree or a weed line or something like that. But the nice thing about the bullet pop is it, it's named bullet pop because it's designed with a rear weight design that allows you to cast accurately. And, and I've, I, we've all fished poppers over the years where they just blow in the wind and they're very difficult to cast accurately. The bullet pop is the most accurate uh, popper that I've ever thrown. And, and what that allows you to do is make precision casts and you catch more fish because it's got that proven popping action as well yeah yeah they generate strikes for sure we've been throwing that thing since pre-production and uh and they definitely generate strikes and i agree with you they are easy to cast and i'm a big believer i mean we preach all the time casting accuracy and line control will catch you more fish than all other things combined and so a popper that you can put in a good spot is a really 
really key thing to that. Now, I throw the smallest of the bullet pops, the little 60 on a spinning rod, the 70 and the 80 I could throw on a casting rod. And since this is a Colorado-based uh, show, uh, I would like to throw point out here that let's say the, the North Park Lakes, South Park Lakes, the Colorado River, the bullet pop 60 will get trout to blow up like you will not believe. Uh, it's a fantastic <laughs> way to catch great big trout, and nobody does it. Now, another style of bait, probably the most difficult of them to, to work, but is, but a fantastic big fish bait is a walking bait of some sort. Now, Berkeley's case, that's going to be a jaywalker or a driftwalker are the two most common. There's a couple others that they make. But a walking style bait, probably typified by Zara Spook for our listeners who may not be familiar with the Berkeley specific ones, that goes back and forth in the walk the dog style presentation. When do you choose that bait? I like it when I need to cover water. I mean, these things are, are superb for casting over large weed flats and things. And the jaywalker is more of an aggressive style. It's a bigger bait, a little heavier, a little wider, rounder type of bait. And it, it performs a lot like the baits that it, uh, anglers are familiar with now. The driftwalker is a unique bait in that it has that same walk-the-dog style, but it's a much more finesse-style bait. So when you're on flat, calm water or with spooky fish or fish that just aren't replying or, you know, responding well to some of the uh, more aggressive baits, that driftwalker could be phenomenal. And I, I, I can tell you this, when we were producing the videos on this bait, I was out in the boat with Justin Lucas, uh, who was really one of the uh, pros that was involved in designing these. And we had a fish in that 8-9 pound class come up and eat that bait on camera. Oh, geez. Just, uh, these things are unbelievably good well-designed uh, baits, and if you haven't tried them, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Well, that Driftwalker's become a favorite of mine, and my camera guy hates that thing. Hey, Tim. Tim's a great guy. He's my camera guy. He hates that bait because he cannot see it on film. And what does that tell you about it? It rides really low in the water column for a topwater bait. It, it's really low in the surface film. And what, what I find out, which is what makes it so subtle, and it glides, I mean, it might as well be a, a speed skater. That thing glides a long ways back and forth when you work it right. But the thing that I notice is when you get smallmouth that are swatting baits and not getting a hold of them, which they're famous for, for, for topwater baits, rolling on baits, jumping over them, uh, for whatever reason, they tend to get a hold of that driftwalker better than they do uh, other walking baits or, or, or some of the poppers that they roll on and refuse. So for me, that bait has become a major confidence bait for smallmouth uh, as as long as the conditions are reasonably flat, it's the first one I grab. And uh, and every single time, my camera guy's like, man, I can't even see that thing. Well, that's the whole point. It's low in the water column, <laughs> and uh, it works really good for that. And we've also got some fantastic strikes, although no nine-pounders, but we've got some fantastic strikes on film with that bait for sure. Um, monofilament or braided line, what do you what do you most commonly throw topwater baits on? I like the strength of braid. I like the castability of braid. I, I, what I don't like about braid is I, I don't like that dark profile of the line in front of the bait. And sometimes I don't like how the baits can tangle up in the soft line of a, of a braid. So what I'm typically using is using braid as a main line. And then I'll add about a foot and a half or two feet of leader, uh, like 14 or 12 pound mono. I got the strength I need. It makes it easier to change the baits. Uh, and I still have the castability and the accuracy and, and the hook setting ability on on the braid. But that's how I do it. I know a lot of people that uh, go straight uh, braid. I know a lot of people that go straight mono. It really depends on the situation and what the angler prefers. Well, and I'm with you for the most part. Uh, for the most part, I'm throwing, for sure, if I'm throwing, a, you know, let's say the little bullet pop on a spinning rod, then I'm throwing that on, on X5 braid or X9 braid, most commonly X, 
X9 on a spinning tackle uh, with a short monofilament leader, pretty much exactly what you described. Uh, I also fished, and I, I'm sure you have as well, with Chris Pisillos, the line manager for, for Berkeley, and, uh, and he's in that same system. So I figure if the guy that produces 80% of the fishing lines holding this country uses it, it's probably a good system. And uh, and that works out pretty good. And then occasionally I'll throw heavy mono, uh, particularly if I'm in shorter range situations. If I'm fishing a, a bait at, at short range around cover, stuff like that, uh, typically I'll throw that on monofilament just for the shock absorber. Don't need the catching distance or the hook setting in that scenario. So, Steve, I am very much looking forward to coming to Minnesota uh, and fishing with you. And uh, it's going to be a blast. And, and so I appreciate you taking the time to call in here as well. Um, viewers of Fishful Thinker Television, we'll see you on uh, early next year and uh, looking forward to that. But again, real quickly, where can folks find you if they want to see what you're at? Where can they find you on the web? Uh, actually, Facebook would be the best. It's just uh, on uh, Lake Commandos on Facebook or join us on Instagram as well. And again, uh, the easiest seat, uh, way to see the shows is uh, My Outdoor TV. Well, there you go, guys. That's Mr. Steve Panaz taking time out of his day in Minnesota. Steve, we appreciate you taking time to do that, and uh, we'll see you at the end of the month. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. And, uh, yeah, like I said, guys, that's Steve Panaz, Lake Commandos. Great guy. Long, long, uh, long time in the fishing industry, someone I'm looking forward to fishing with. So we're going to take another break here. You're listening to the special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Well, actually, you're listening to Chad Lachance, guest hosting Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. Terry's away and traveling, and I've been given the honors of guest hosting this five radio show here, along with the board op Kyle here. Uh, and we're going to go back to the phones because we're joined by one of my favorite guys in fishing, uh, Denver Fishing Guide, uh, proprietor at Discount Tackle, Mr. Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Chad. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for once again taking time out of a Saturday. Uh, now, for folks that, that may or may not be familiar with you, you've been a guest on Fishful Thinker Television a whole bunch of times. You usually beat up on me, but I don't hold it against you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but every now and then, when we went bass fishing, I got my got my retaliation. Yes, absolutely you but, did. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that you consistently uh, are good at is uh, is fishing offshore stuff. This much I know from having filmed with you repeatedly um the the reservoirs in our region are finally coming down a little bit horse tooth dropping eight ten inches a day uh i know that all the reservoirs are finally coming down a little bit and it's getting to be that time of year where there's a bunch of fish that are not necessarily on the banks anymore uh we talked in the open segment with dan swanson about how he locates fish physically locates them with his sonar and and uh and gps combinations but you're the guy that likes to put them in the boat one after the other and with the reservoir levels doing what they are um what are some of the keys that you look at at this point uh going into any given day's fishing well, going along with what you said about the reservoirs dropping, many times this time of year also is associated with large numbers of bait fish in the majority of our lakes when we're talking about walleyes and smallmouth bass. And that's true in, in almost all the lakes that we're seeing this year. So when you have the, a combination of a water level drop with bait fish that are moving out over the open water at an inch or two or maybe three inches long, 
those fish are going to peel off of that shoreline structure and even some of your open water structure and start chasing those bait fish. So rather than going with your midsummer patterns for walleyes, whether it be casting a jig or pulling a lindy rig or, or doing anything like that, you need to be trolling in most lakes. And that means small flicker shads, particularly some of the shallow running flicker shads. We've had good success with the jointed ones lately but pulling those behind planer boards. But at the same time, a lake like Chatfield right now is absent of almost all shad, whereas the fish are still on that offshore structure and locating them with sonar tight to the bottom is still a very effective way to catch a lot of fish. So what you're saying is you got to fish to the conditions of what you're seeing right there. Now, you caught me real quick on, on one thing right there, Austin, um, about the, the metro impoundments. Chatfield has had a massive amount of shad for years. You're telling me you're not seeing them now? There are absolutely zero shad in Chatfield right now, whereas you go to Cherry Creek and it is absolutely loaded with shad. So the trolling bite is going out there, whereas at Chatfield, basically the, the conditions are similar to what you would find in June. Really? As, so, far as, as far as fishing is concerned. So the fishing's probably really good because when the it's shad numbers aren't blowing up, then the fish are obviously out and about looking for stuff to eat because they're used to having more shad than they know what to do with. Yeah, I mean, the smallmouth bass have changed a little bit where they normally sit on the rocks. The water's down about five feet out there. So the, the smallmouth are sitting on a six-foot break, basically across the entire face of the dam, munching on crawfish, whereas your walleyes are sitting in that 11 to 16-foot range and things like jigging wraps or Johnny Darters, uh, Johnson Thinfish or Blade Baits are really good. And even going back to the standard bait-type conditions, uh, you can catch tons of fish on any of those things right now. Well, it sounds pretty good. Sounds like we might ought to get down and visit Chatfield. Uh, Terry Wickstrom, uh, proprietor of this very radio show, has said for years that uh, whenever the bait fish crash in a lake, everyone's a hero. And uh, yeah. are, are you of the opinion that the bait fish have crashed, or are we just having an off year for them? It's been a strange couple of years. So in 2015, we had our big flood across the entire state, basically, and the lake rose up. The bait fish were very prolific for that next season, but then uh, the dam actually opened up and they flushed the dam when all the bait fish came back out over the open water, and we lost a lot of bait fish out there. Um, so for two seasons, there were virtually no bait fish. Last year, we saw quite a few bait fish, but then we're back into the no bait fish range again. So. <laughs> It's been kind of interesting. You know, there's been a lot of work being done out there with the lake being uh, raised by that 12-foot mark next year. Maybe that had some effect to it, but I'm not 100% sure it's exactly why. But all I know is there are basically none out there at the moment. Well, what I, one thing I do know is they will stock them. They will stock adult, adult gizzard shad in there in the oh, yeah. event that, uh, that there's an issue with that. Parks Wildlife does stock shad. People don't realize that. They'll move them around from other lakes. Um, and of course those fish, just so no one panics, they can be also feeding on basic baby bluegills. They could be feeding on you know, oh, yeah. perch. They could be feeding on little crappies, crawfish, uh, a big time crawfish. Right now too, so. Yeah. So they're not yep. going to starve. They're just not chasing the obvious fish. And interestingly, you point out that they open the dam and let them out. People think that the smelt crashed in horse tooth years and years ago because of an overpopulation issue. But really what it was is they called for water in the middle of winter. They opened the floodgates, uh, at the North end of the lake where all the smelt were wintering and it sucked two-thirds of them out in one shot into the river to the point where it ruined the water treatment plant for the city of Fort Collins because so many smelt got sucked into their intake system. Uh, and that's what started this, the bait fish crash there. So it, really all these lakes are giant fish bowls. They're all managed. You know, None, none of the species are native. Uh, they're all subject to whatever the water managers do, and uh, and it may have nothing to do with parks and wildlife as to where the shad went or where, yeah. the, where the other fish went. It has to do with the guy that wanted the water and let it out at a certain time or that had to prevent a flood. So there's that. But um, 
But anyway, back to our to our thing about the uh, the dropping water levels and suspended fish. When you say you're pulling these shad wraps, uh, shallow shad wraps, which by the way has turned out to be a really good bait for us. That's new for what the last year, I guess, right? That's, that's yeah, the flicker shad, shallow flicker or, uh, shad. Flicker shad, yeah. That that yep. bait, the shallow version of it, is a new bait, and uh, that's been a, a great little bait for us. Uh, are you pulling that over open water? I am. And, you know, one of the, the, the largest misconceptions that I hear about down here at the store and whether I'm guiding or anything is that walleyes need to go deep because the water is hot. Uh, and that is absolutely no, not the no. case. Um, you know, when there's a lot of bait fish in the lake, they actually do the exact opposite, where I feel like they're pushing the bait against the surface, not to the level like a striper or a wiper would, right. but the most active fish are literally a foot or two underneath the surface right out over the open water. So either positioning yourself and casting something like a flashy jerk bait, or in my situation where I do quite a bit of trolling when I'm walleye fishing, I will utilize a planer board, push it way out to the side away from me so that I'm not affecting those fish with my boat that are only a foot or two behind underneath the surface, and I'm putting that shallow flicker shad 10 feet behind a planer board. So it's barely running down at all and, and hammering fish across open water. Yeah, there you go. They've got the bait between the, the proverbial rock and the hard place. When the bait's up against the surface, it's got nowhere to go. And uh, and every predatory fish known to man will push fish up against the surface and eat them if they can. So when their walleyes are sitting there five feet down over 20 feet of water and see that bait running a foot under the surface, it's easy pickings. And, oh yeah, uh, and that makes really good sense. And and just for the record, I've seen that exact pattern work of of it right in the prop wash of the boat, where when there yep. are shad high in the water column and the boat goes through them, the shad scatter every direction, and you can literally catch fish by having your bait right in the prop wash. Ryan Wood won his first. Uh, state championship as a 10-year-old by by fluttering a spoon five feet down over 80 feet of water in prop wash of boats. So um, not something a lot of people do, but that can be, uh, yeah. be your best friend for sure. Now, um, you said Cherry Creek's going really good, uh, but there, and there's tons of, sh- of shad in Cherry Creek. What are you doing at Cherry Creek different than Chatfield? we got so about I, two minutes. Forget about all of your bait pulling. Forget about your summertime patterns. Leave the bait at home. So early morning, I'm going up really shallow and casting glide baits like Johnny Darters or Johnson Thin Fishers in as shallow as three or four feet of water where I'm not dealing with a lot of weeds. Once that sun gets up and you get to be about that 8.30 or 9 o'clock range, that's when all those fish will peel out of that shallow water, and then you have to go troll across the open basin. So getting your shallow flicker shads, normal flicker shads, or whatever other little small shad crankbait that you're looking at, pull that across the open water. But the big thing that I like to do when I'm doing that is Keep notes or keep in your head what exactly you're doing. Pay attention to your speed. Pay attention to your feet back. Pay attention to your color because when you get something dialed in, you can really sit there and hammer them one after another once you get that right combination of speed, color, and a specific bait. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like you've got a pretty solid theory going on and what you're doing on any given day, and I love it. And that's one of the reasons you're one of my favorite guys to fish with. Uh, You know, guys, and I don't push other guys guide businesses very much but the truthful uh, issue is when when we've gone out and filmed with you every time you've called it exactly like it was going to go and uh and that to me is a sign of a good fishing guide so uh i always appreciate that and hopefully we'll get out in the boat with you if a guy wants to get a hold of you and book a guide trip which i highly recommend he does how does he do it so my phone number is 303-514-5546 um, and we're getting a heck of a lot of trips going, but you can also uh, get a hold of me in my email, walleye93 at gmail.com. There you go. So for a good time call, 303-514-5546. That uh, is it. Uh, I appreciate it, Austin. And uh, will you get out in the boat with us and film some more Fishful Thinker soon? Would 
absolutely want to do that, Chad. I certainly appreciate you having me on, and every time you have me on the show, I certainly appreciate it. All right, there you go, Austin. Well, have a good day. We appreciate all the information you always provide. And uh, and with that, guys, we're going to step aside and take a break. You're listening to the special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. All right, welcome to the final segment of this special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600. I'm Chad Lachance filling in for Terry's Away and Traveling, and if you're a regular listener to this fine radio show... You will recognize our next guest, a close friend of mine, a fellow Fishful Thinker guide, a guy that's been on Fishful Thinker television a whole lot, and brand new dad, Mr. Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Chad. How you doing this morning, bud? Well, I'm pretty good. How many diapers have you changed so far today? Uh, well, you know, it depends on when you start the day, Chad. So <laughs> if we're going from midnight till now, then, uh, you know, maybe uh, half a dozen or so. Well, all jokes aside, congratulations. I know uh, you've you've got a beautiful little girl, Lily, at home at this point, and uh, I'm sure that's been a bit of a game changer for you. Um, but she's, what, five weeks old now? Yeah, she's five weeks old. She's doing great, and we're having a lot of fun. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, making sleep a little hard to come by. <laughs> Sounds like a fishing guide with a side job, no less. So. Sounds good, but you know, one of the earliest things that you and I ever did together fishing, when we actually went fishing together, probably a decade ago, a decade or so ago at this point, was uh, we hit some rivers. You and I went up one time, and we hit uh, Michigan Creek. Uh, we did some filming in Big Thompson Canyon. We did some stuff in the Pooter. Uh, we've fished a lot of river stuff, and I don't think a lot of people associate Fishful Thinker in general, you or me or Dan, any any of us, with uh, with river fishing, but we do a fair bit of it. I know it's one of your favorite things to do. And uh, earlier in the show, we were talking with the guys from the Arkansas headwaters and their waters coming down and clearing up. You and I talked ahead of time here. The Poudre River uh, in our neck of the woods is coming coming down substantially and has cleared up a whole bunch. And the fishing is really getting to be good this time of year. It can be a great time to fish the rivers for now for the next probably six or eight weeks, don't you think? Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite things to do, especially as we are in the dog days of summer and you get those real hot days. Uh, you know, getting up and fishing the rivers once, you know, it's, it's a lot cooler up there in the mountains for one, but also that, that, that water's, you know, nice and cool and it gives you an opportunity to get out and do a little wading and cool off. And a lot of times it's, it's just, you know, about being out in the environment and, and escaping the city and escaping the, hit, the heat for me as much as is is about, you know, catching fish, Chad. So there's an excellent opportunity right there. You know, the Poudre River is definitely one of my favorites, Chad. So is the Big Thompson. Growing up here in Fort Collins, for the most part, it, it was very, very common for, for me to be up on the river as a youngster. I, I remember going to school, and uh, just about every Monday or Tuesday, I'd run into people, and they'd say, hey, we saw your dad's Jeep up on the river. Were you guys doing some fishing? And absolutely, we were, Chad. We were up there catching a lot of fish, so there's definitely an opportunity to get out there. But, you know, one of the big things that I, I like to, you know, let some of the new listeners or some of the new people to the state, uh, you know, know is that, when people move here, undoubtedly, Chad, we hear all the time about 
Well, you know, I thought that the only way you could go out and target those fish on the rivers were with fly rods. And, you know, I'm not a fly angler. I'm coming from the south. I'm coming from here. I'm coming from there. Never done any fly fishing. But I'm here to tell you, and I know you've done a very, very good job of filming and letting people see that you can get out on these rivers, you can approach them with spinning tackle, and you have absolutely no problem catching fish doing it, Chad. No, definitely not. And I, I agree. And, and I get that commonly. Oh, I moved here. I don't fly fish. Same thing you're just talking about. And, uh, and I did the same thing for the record. When I moved here from South Florida, I started catching right off the bat. First fish I caught was a stalker trout. I thought, first of all, is this bait? Is, is this, are we going to harness this thing and troll it or what? Uh, and then I realized, okay, no, that's what they look like. And, uh, and then the very next step was, well, now I got to learn to fly fish because now I'm dealing with rainbow trout. Well, that's great. Fly fishing is great. I love it. Got a whole bunch of fly rides at home. But as you've pointed out, it's not the only way to, to catch fish by far. And this time of year, as the water gets low and clear, the fly rod can be, or excuse me, the spinning rod can be a little bit trickier at times, but what are the, some of the things you do to combat that? So let's say you're going to the to, to Poudre River today, right? And so the runs are going to be shallow and really clear. The pools will be a little bit deeper. Uh, fish have had a lot of pressure. Um, what, what are the, some things you're going to do? Let's say you're going to take a, a light spinning rod out and try to catch them. What are you going to do these days? Uh, you, you know, to get out and target the fish right now, there's, there's a few things. One, I'm, I'm going to try to be real, real stealthy when I'm yeah, up on the river. So yeah. it tends to be for me that one of the tips I give people is that when I approach the river, when I pull into a section of river and, and I park, uh, I tend to walk down river before I actually walk down into the river. And then I like to fish my way upstream uh, pretty much the whole time, Chad. One of the reasons I'm doing that is because fish are looking upstream. That's just the way it is. They're, they're faced into the current. And when you get these real low flows, you get this skinny water out there. Uh, if you approach those fish from below, then a lot of times you can sneak right up on them, Chad. But if you're working your way from upstream and you're coming downstream, it's very, very common to see fish spooking. You see fish get spooked out. You see fish running away. So that's one of the tips that I'll give people. You know, the other thing is I tend to downsize my presentations quite a bit. And I fish a lot of a lot of real-life fluorocarbon this time of year, Chad. I, I really like approaching these rivers with, say, four or maybe six-pound test at the heaviest uh, straight fluorocarbon so that I have a real clear water or a real clear line in the water. You know, the fish don't see it. And, uh, you know, I tend to also try to make, you know, real long casts, Chad. Yeah, so it may be that I, I'm trying to, you know, hit these pools a little farther away from when other times I'd, I'd like to wade right up next to him and make the cast, Chad. I tend to make the cast a little bit longer this time of year so that, you know, once again, I'm just not spooking these, these heavily pressured fish. Yeah, yeah, that's a key thing. One of the things I've always said is the, the one of the advantages that a spinning rod gives you in the river is range. I can stand on one side of the river and fish the other side of the river where I can't maybe do that with a fly rod. Even if I could make the cast, I can't control a drift from that far. But with the spinning rod, I can literally maybe stay out of the water. Therefore, there's no pressure waves. I'm not kicking up any sediment or anything like that and not spook fish at all and still make a long accurate presentation assuming i have casting skills and line control which is a whole nother another battle but if you do um, a, a long accurate cast to around spooky fish is a great way to catch them and people think that uh, bonefish is a good example okay a bonefish and i know we're talking about trout but a bonefish they say oh they're smart well they're dumb as rocks actually but they're real observant because they live in very shallow clear water and therefore they're afraid of their own shadow well trout are the same way when the water gets low and clear every shadow that goes over the pool is is 
potential cause for a lerm, anything overhead. So by using the clear fluorocarbon, you don't ever quote unquote line fish where the where the line goes over the top of them and spooks them like you do with a fly rod. Uh, and making long throws, they don't they just don't expect it. There's they, they, fish are much easier to catch when they're not spooked. And so I think those are key things. The other thing you talked about cooling off. Uh, both of us are in agreement. We wet wade almost exclusively this time of year because it's so much more comfortable. So a uh, great way to cool down. Uh, something yeah, else absolutely. You-, yeah, you know, one thing I'd like to bring up about that is if you are going to get up there and maybe you're new to the river and you just haven't done a lot of it, maybe you haven't done a lot of wading, I can tell you that one of the most important things that you need to have when you go up there and try to try to go about doing this is you got to have the right pair of shoes, Chad. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how many how many friends growing up I took up to the river to go fish, and they showed up in just a pair of basketball shoes or something like that. And the minute you get a regular pair of basketball shoes or even just a regular pair of hiking boots wet, now you lose all your traction, Chad. You, yeah. you step out of that water, you go to step on one of those rocks, and there's a lot of those really pink kind of slick rocks up there on the Poudre River, for example. You step on one of those with a wet pair of shoes, and you're going to go skiing, falling, sliding right off the thing. Uh, it's a great way to get injured, Chad. So the proper footwear is by far one of the best tips I can give people. The shoes that I prefer to wear when I'm going up there and doing a lot of wet wading, Chad, um, I really like the water slash hiking shoes. These are shoes that are designed to drain water efficiently, and they usually have really, really tacky soles to them. Uh, the, the type of sole I'm looking for is going to have kind of a, a tire pattern for the most part. It's going to look basically like somebody cut a tire and slapped it at the bottom of a shoe, but you're looking for a lot of drainage. You're looking for the water to come pouring out of their shoes really, really fast so that when you do step out of the water, maybe you just have to stand there for 30 seconds, and then all the water's drained out of your shoes, Chad. That is by far one of the biggest tips I can give people. We filmed with the guys from Head for the Hills, the music guys who do all the music for Fishful Thinker Television, and one of those guys took a digger and got a bruise about the size of a basketball on the side of his butt and then had to perform all night at Mishwaka Amphitheater with it because he did exactly what you said. So uh, we don't want that to happen for anybody. But we got a couple minutes left here, Ron, uh, about three minutes or so. Um, you, you touched on downsizing your lures, uh, and I'm in agreement with that. There's two things I do when the water gets low and clear. I want my lure to be smaller. Uh, most likely it's going to have a smaller profile all the way around, maybe even a translucent color. But the other thing is I'm going to tend to make my lures faster. The water temperature's warm. The fish have plenty of metabolism going on. They're, they're burning energy right now, or they're willing to. Uh, a small, fast lure of some sort gets me more bites when the water's low and clear. What's what's your theories on picking lures specifically for low, clear water? Yeah, I would agree with that, Chad. You know, lures that you can work horizontally through through the water are, are going to thrive when the water's real, real skinny, as opposed to lures that are necessarily straight vertical lures. But, you know, you can adapt. So even something like a two-and-a-half-inch gold minnow and a 16-ounce or 8-ounce jig head, that's the kind of lure that I can get up there on the river, and I can fish it vertically in the deeper pools and allow it to go ahead and, you know, fall down and look for those strikes as that lure's falling through the water column with kind of an upward snapping jigging motion. But when I approach those kind of longer, more shallow runs, I can take that same presentation and I just kind of change the way I'm working it. So the, as opposed to snapping it straight up and down sort of a stereo, it's more like I'm working it like a little shallow running jerkbait a lot of times where the rod's going sideways and I'm just sort of snapping it along and I'm not necessarily letting it fall a whole heck of a lot through the water column. I'm just trying to keep it up shallow through the water because there's just not a lot of depth there. So a presentation like that when I'm working the rivers, uh, I really kind of tend to like those kind of things because I can 
do both like we're talking about and I'm not having to retie and having to adjust. Now, a shallow running little jerkbait or a little plug or something like that or even a, a real small little lipless crankbait can also work real effectively because you can trigger those reaction strikes like you're talking about in those scenarios. You know, and one of the other things I'll do is maybe think about running a split shot rig this time of year as the water gets clear and maybe approaching that with something like a real small woolly bugger or even taking, you know, a various assortment of flies up there and utilizing those on spinning tackle with a, with a small maybe BB size split shot about a foot, maybe a foot and a half up. When I'm fishing that, then, then I'm going to be fishing it a little more in that drift scenario like the fly guys like to do and, and allow the river to really kind of move that thing along and just sort of bounce it along and let that split shot come off the bottom. You know, you can definitely get the fish to bite. I will say a lot of times this time of year, earlier and late in the day tend to be a little bit better for me as opposed to high bright sun, whereas earlier or later than year, it's kind of the complete opposite. You know, midday trout fishing can be the best. So I like to get up there before the, the suns really get up. You know, one of the other points that I'll make, Chad, too, is, you know, we're definitely getting more traffic. We're getting more people on the rivers. The state's just growing. There's nothing we can do about that. One of the other big tips that I've always kind of adhered to as an angler on the rivers is I like to fish the stretches that don't get a lot of pressure, Chad. And it's really easy to say that, but how do I how do I find a stretch that doesn't get a lot of pressure? Well, one of the real easy things to do, Chad, is look for a stretch that doesn't have a lot of parking. Yeah. If you're driving up the Poudre River and you drive you know, and you see all the parking areas and the big turnouts and everywhere everybody else likes to park, that kind of thing. If you drive and you notice that you've drive maybe a half a mile or so and you hadn't seen a lot of parking, but you just saw one little spot, one little area where one vehicle can get in and park, those are the stretches I tend to lean you know, towards targeting because I just can say, you know, that just hasn't seen a lot of pressure. It's not a, my dad had a saying that everybody in a brother spot, those are the spots where everybody pulls over and parks. We look for the non everybody in the brother spots, Chad. Well, the other thing along those same lines is the ones that are hard to hike down to. And, uh, and you and I've done that where you take some serious Billy goat and you get down to the water. Uh, it might only be one or two. Those are 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 my favorite to get into. If I've got to climb down a little bit of a, a rock face to get to a stretch and get in there, I feel like a bear grills out there tromping through the woods and getting into a stretch that nobody's been on and absolutely chad that's some of my favorite stuff to do yes sir there you have it guys well that's ronnie castiglione uh fishful thinker guide uh you can get information on him at fishfulthinker.com also dan swanson who was in our first segment ronnie we're gonna let you get back to babysitting thanks for time to calling in all right buddy have a good one you too so guys you know with that we have burned up the whole show in no time flat kyle thanks for putting up with me in here and i want a special thanks to terry wickstrom and karen of course for uh, letting me come in and fill this uh special edition of the show out we had some really good calls guys this is the time of year to get out and about enjoy time in colorado we've, we've got hunting we've got fishing it's uh it's all about colorado at this point so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you, of course, can check out Fishful Thinker at Fishful Thinker across all social media platforms or on Altitude Sports Entertainment. And with that, I'm signing off. This has been a special edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN Denver 1600.